I'm Bert Broadhead, and welcome to Building Our Future, the podcast where we meet the people changing the way we design, construct, and utilize our built environment. Now, this is the first episode since we launched, and therefore a very good chance to thank everyone who's listened thus far. As a quick favor, I'd just like to mention that we are an amateur show and therefore very much dependent on word of mouth to increase our listenership. If you've enjoyed any of the episodes, please do mention it to a friend or colleague. There are also various easy ways to share the episodes on our website, but just telling someone about it would be equally appreciated. Thank you. In previous episodes, we've discussed before with Chris Choa and Andrew War the ideas of architectural and urban design being able to facilitate human interconnectivity. There's now an additional dynamic to this aim of urbanism, facilitating human interaction and community through technology. In a world of increasing numbers of remote workers, self-employed and contractors, the ability to build communities in the workplace is increasingly important. From a landlord's perspective, happy end users mean happy and more stickier tenants, while additional end user engagement can also lead to new potential income streams. As such, it's a goal which makes sense from both societal and economic perspectives. So I've decided to meet with someone with a background in co-working, who is now looking to use technology to help build and reinforce communities within buildings. My guest today is Vanessa Butts. Having studied engineering, economics and management at Oxford University, Vanessa wrote her master's thesis on understanding the DNA of strong entrepreneurial hubs and then took her theory into practice by helping to build large technology and co-working campuses, both at Factory Berlin and Market Tech's Interchange Camden. Having worked at the intersection of cities and technology, she's now founded District, providing real estate owners with a subscription as a service app-based technology to upgrade their buildings to be ready for what she sees as the smart city revolution. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me in your your smart Fitzrovia offices. A smart city revolution is is, uh, quite a prediction. What is this going to entail? I think if you consider that urban population growth is our number one or one of our biggest challenges facing um, the world with more and more people moving into large cities... Obviously, some people are moving out again because you can't live um, and work in cities as one would expect to anymore. It's much more difficult in terms of mobility. There's way too many cars and transportation, getting from A to B, but also job opportunities with the changing ways of how we work. Today, your office can be anywhere. And even though we can be very remote in the ways that we work, it's still proven that we still want to have a space to come together. So that's why co-working spaces and offices will never go away. They're just going to get more predominant, but they're going to change in the way that we use them in terms of the agility and flexibility that people want. And so that's something we're, we're serving and we're catering also with district. It's like an operating system to manage your office space in a more uh, flexible and better way. We'll, we'll come on to district, but the, the general concept of a smart city. So mm-hmm. it, again, we, we did a lot on the show with buzzwords and things which get kind of thrown around mm-hmm. quite willy-nilly, but can be quite fl- fluffy in their definition. What, what's a smart city for you, just as a, as a broad definition? I think it's a great question. 
We've just, so London just appointed its first ever chief digital officer, Theo Blackwell. And I'm lucky enough to know him quite well because he was a Camden mayor when I set up Interchange in Camden three years ago. And he just got elected to be London's first chief digital officer. And his whole remit is to define how can we make London a smart city? And to do that, you have to start with the question, what does a smart city even mean? And that's the first step of, of sort of working on smart city technologies. What do we mean with a smart city? And for me personally, I think there's lots of different definitions out there. But for me, it's about combining a balance of human interfaces or human connections with technological enablement. So can we enable our human interactions on a day-to-day -day basis to be more efficient, more sort of easier, nicer, um, make you also detox or digitally detox instead of always being connected is important. So actually finding spaces where you have green and plants and local communities that take care of each other is just as much part of a smart city as connecting everything with IoT sensors and um, making sure that we have in our pockets, on our phones, the ability to get what we need when we need it in terms of our daily smart city life, whether it's transportation or booking a restaurant or you know going to see a, a cinema. We can do all of these things um, daily already, but also creating a city where people want to live, where it's not just easy to live and very tech savvy, but it's also where people want to live. So that means air pollution, generating more spaces for recreation, for children, parks, more greenery. I think all of this is really important as we keep growing and building towers, as we go up into the sky, because yeah. we've run out of street space. You know, where do, where do we build? We can only build up or down. And tunnels like Elon Musk's more boring project is personally a whole different challenge going underground. So it's most likely going to go up. So I believe growth is going to go up. Yeah. And we already have examples of companies that are really smart sort of approaching the next 10 or 20 years. So for me, it's about things that we can do today, but also planning for the future in 10, 20 years and how to stay sustainable and vibrant as a smart city. So for you, a smart city is really about working out what, what people really want from the environments that they live in and then making sure that the technology that you incorporate into their lives is simply enabling them to be able to enact those desires as efficiently as possible. Yeah, seamless. It should be seamless. So I imagine a smart city in the future where we can, we basically ask our phones or even just our car um, the nearest parking spot and it'll tell us where the nearest parking spot is. Or we, we say we need a, um, I need to go to Brighton. How do I get to Brighton now? And it might tell me actually there's a flying Uber car on the next tower that can get me there. So there's already companies. So there's um, a friend of mine has a company called Skyport, right? which is actually today taking the option of leasing the roofs of towers to have drones and flying cars land on those roofs in the future. We often forget that these things are happening today. And we're also busy in our day-to-day -day life that we, especially in real estate. So, you know, we, I pitch real estate professionals every day and we're so busy building buildings the way we've done in the last hundred years or thousands of years, innovating around the user experience of how people want to live their lives in smart cities is, is really 
interesting. And there's a lot of examples of cities that have been built, new cities that were a complete disaster that didn't work out, even though they were super high tech. Right. Because they lacked the human interface, the human connections. Right. That, that, that interests me is, um, you know, I'm sure what we've all read about uh, Google's interaction with, with Toronto and the mm. building a city from the internet up and mm. just whether that's really the right thing to be doing anyway. Uh, I mean, for me, cities should be built from the people up and the tech is simply enabler. And that may just be yeah. kind of something I'm losing in translation, but it, it slightly worries me when you hear about that. Yeah, I fully agree. And I also think, why is Google, what's the interest of Google in building a city, right? They're not a real estate company, but they're becoming one. They're becoming one. And I suppose it comes down to, you know, smart cities, smart data, big data. And, you know, if if data is kind of um, integral to and increasingly integral to everything we do, then it all starts with the built environment. So I can see why they might want to have an an interest. I do find it a little bit sinister, but I... uh, just on this note of new cities, there's also Songdu in China. I don't right. know if you've heard of that right. one. It's completely new, directly at an airport. So they spent billions building the city and sort of two-thirds empty because the people haven't moved in there. So it's just huge towers that are that have built for people that they thought would move but never came. And the same, there's another good example in Saudi Arabia that has a similar one, like a research center where they built around a university. And there's this new one that they're building called Neon, which supposedly is the sort of most investment ever into a new city, and it's going to be 33 times larger than New York. In Saudi? In, yeah, uh, between Jordan and Saudi Arabia. So they're creating a, almost like a new country there. It's really interesting. But even closer to home here in Portsmouth, I have a friend who I've been advising a little bit on the side, and he's building 300 acres of a new city. It's going to be more of a merchant city. Mm. And what he's done, which I think is really smart, and what we speak about a lot when we when we meet, is building it around the human connection, like you said, that was missing in, in other examples of the internet up. In fact, you know, let's build it from the human connection up. I think that's a really great comment. And so he's trying to do that, and he could have easily built a thousand new homes and sold it for a lot of money, but he didn't want to do that. He inherited the land, so it's 300 acres opposite Portsmouth. Uh, They filmed Mission Impossible there, which is really cool, but they're decommissioning this power station and turning it into a new smart city, but built for humans first. So So his challenge is the the, the rail link, I think, and then once he gets that, it's all all systems go. But he's got some uh, some kind of vibrant ideas. Yeah, well worth checking out. One of the things I've read, they were talking about smart cities, which are comprised of smart precincts, mm-hmm. which are comprised of smart buildings. So it all, it all starts from a more uh, granular yes. level. And then I suppose for me, actually linking into the smart building is probably the smartphone, which is kind of where the direct human kind of uh, interaction occurs from the digital perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, your focus has been with district thus far on offices with some residential is that right yeah so right now we're only live in offices but we're speaking to a lot of prs solutions who are very interested in rolling out the same technology but for residential where you have um leases so it doesn't make sense for a building where everyone's bought their own apartment but it makes a lot of sense for buildings that are trying to create community across the apartments they have a lot of shared amenity space so you can book Um, a yoga class or you can book a meeting room 
And in essence, the, the services and amenities are very similar to your larger tower or campus that wants to create the same service. This is probably a good point just mm. to, to explain a little bit about what, what district really is, which I'll, I'll, sure. uh, I'll leave you to do. Yeah, so we are in essence a tenant engagement platform. That's what people like to call the space. Personally, I'm not such a big fan. For me, I like to use the word engagement. So it's about creating engagement across people and creating what I like to call moving from being a rent collector to a relationship builder. So a lot of our clients have understood, especially with the rise of WeWork and co-working spaces, that you need to treat your customers in a more hospitality-led way than just sort of managing the invoicing at the end of the year. And the step um, changes slightly the way we build buildings, but also changes the operations of the buildings. And so District is just the technology platform that allows you to create those relationships in the best way. And what does it actually look like or what does it do? Three core features, let's say pillars, that we build everything around, which is spaces, services, and people. So people is very clear community, even knowing who's in the building and what company they work for and how I can connect with them if I'm interested. Services is everything from food and drink, your local cafe, discounts, promotions, laundry, whatever you need. And then spaces is meeting rooms or bookable spaces and access. So you can use our technology to get in and out of your building. If I work in a district-enabled office building, is my experience for everything within that office going to be through your app? So is, is, your, is it effectively an app of apps? Effectively, yeah. It's one user interface, we like to say. And that's important because I don't want to download 10 apps for my office. Right. I don't want to have one app for meeting rooms, one app for access, one app for my food, you know, and another app for... Um, my relationship with my landlord or how I get notifications or communications from them. This is why we've built this from day one is to have one leading platform and then we can integrate with other existing software or hardware solutions where required. Which um, utilities and functions within your app are you finding the most positive user feedback from? So people saying, you know what, I didn't know I needed that, but actually since I've started using Distrip, this is just part of my day-to-day -day, like phone usage definitely just seeing what's in the building so events like clicking on events is our number one use case um, so, this, so this is office buildings running whatever it might be a yoga studio or yeah and it doesn't have to be in the building there right. can be stuff you know different event spaces around the building but most of the buildings that we have today have a point of contact who's in charge of community and this is essential. So it could be a receptionist that's upskilled, could be a property manager, it could be an asset manager, or what we like to call them community managers. That's the sort of job title that comes from co-working. And this is a, a job that's increasingly more important as real estate companies move from rent to relationship. And this is someone that we always recommend you to get sort of in-house because it can be scaled across many buildings. And creating this brand as an owner is really important, and more and more owners want to do this. So we kind of just facilitate that. What else can I do within the app? So there's services, there's mm -hmm. meeting room booking. So for example, so one of the best use cases is I come in, I know I have to organize a meeting with, say, I'm, or, I'm a member of the building, and I work for, let's say, Vodafone. 
And I'm inviting you, Brett, to join a meeting with us tomorrow. So I can open the app and with one click, see, I click a filter and I see which rooms are available. Then I can click on that room. I can book it. It can either be if it's a room in my office, it's probably free. If it's a shared room from the landlord, it might charge me. So it might be okay, 20 pounds to book this, creating more revenue channels for the owner of the building. And then I book the room. And then I can, with one click, invite you, Bert. I have you in my address book. You get sent a personalized email with a calendar invite and a wallet. So I basically can then save, if I'm you, I can save the wallet, just like an airline ticket, a visitor pass to let you in the building. It tells you how to get to the building. And you just walk up, say it's tomorrow now, you walk up 10 minutes before the meeting, it swipes up on your home feed. So you can see it like an airline ticket popping up on your phone. Um, which is an extremely seamless check-in process. And so we're very excited that we've launched this now with our um, access partner, and that's for visitor access. You have this type of ticket, you can swipe yourself in, and you no longer have to wait five minutes at every reception for meetings that you go to. It's just seamless. And on the um, host side, so me, having invited you, I get a notification when you walk into the building. I know that I'm going to now pick you up from the lift if the lift is activated or I might need to go downstairs to pick you up if the lifts are closed for security controls. And it just saves everyone a lot of time and hassle. So this meeting room booking and access integration has been really, really well received so far. And then, of course, also just seeing who else is in the building. So even though connecting with people is less interesting for our users somehow, they still click on the profile pages and see who's in the building but they don't really, like it's been interesting for us to see that they don't really want to connect with each other through the app. They want to connect with each other offline. And so by, by that you mean, so it might be people working within different companies, but in the same building. And yeah, they or even in, the same bu- even in the same company. We have companies yeah. that are so large, they, they don't know everyone working for their company. How have you managed to increase that interaction? Is that just through events? The number one use case for clicking on your profile is at an event, so... On my app, I can see all the events happening. I can see who else has joined the event. I can click on that person and say, oh, hey, Bert is going to this really cool event. I haven't seen him for a while. Let me connect and let me go there and actually meet him in person. One of the things we touched on a little bit so far, which is the idea of community, which whether it is in the future of offices, co-working, co-living, greater densification in cities, at the heart of it is all this, you know, people wanting to be together, whether we realize it or not. It's easy to say, and it's, I think, a lot harder to get right. And right now on on this kind of tech journey, I think we're at an early iteration of the process. A lot of people promising that their tech will deliver happier people and closer communities. Do you think there will be a way we can we can measure the sense of community spirit? I think we can absolutely measure it, and it's something we do on a daily basis, and it's measured through engagement. So what does that mean? Events that I join, activities that I take part of, or real-life connections that I make. So if I actually find you through district and then connect with you on LinkedIn, but then meet you and sort of have a business opportunity come out of it, the use case for community and building in offices is always about generating more business opportunities. So when when I used to build co-working spaces, I would measure 
our success based on case studies. So you would actually have companies that started investing in each other, acquire, acquiring each other, partnering, becoming clients of each other. And that's all a strong signaling of a healthy community that's very engaged, that knows each other, and that wants to work together. And so that's how we measure it. And just to emphasize technology like district, our platform will never create communities by itself. It will enable it. It'll help you create your better communities. But you always need to have a, a human interaction as well. I think we'll see a growing trend of kind of self-defining campus generation. So, for example, real estate companies clustering together to benefit from that. So rather than just having a co-working office, it might be an industry-specific co-working office. Yeah, absolutely. I think industry verticals are very interesting, especially when you start talking about business opportunities. In fact, when I was looking for my new office, I called my friends at Wired Score and at VTS and I asked them where their offices are because they have all the same clients as we do. So why wouldn't I want to work in the same office as them? Unfortunately, they were spread across town. <laughs> the, ones, the ones here in the West End in a, in a Soho. Um, we work in... The other one is in British Land Stories in the city. So I decided to just take my own office as Get well. Alone, but yeah. you know, if they were all together, I would have probably gone into a co-working space where they are. Creativity comes sideways. So I think I'm always a big believer in not siloing industries too much. So I think you should be surrounded by different types of companies. But being in the same space or same location has always happened. It's the definition of clustering in cities. So you... You see it with the theater districts and yeah. media districts, creative districts, startups, um, companies that are similar flock together. And if you have real estate companies building new neighborhoods and new precincts or districts of innovation, if you want to call it that, is that absolutely their number one thing. So when we uh, launched Factory in Berlin, we bought this old warehouse at the Berlin Wall in the middle of nowhere, there was literally no office, no no other office space, surrounded by residential, no cafes, no restaurants, nothing. And then two, three years later, when we had 10,000 people working there every day, it really created almost a new gentrification yeah. of that neighborhood. So we had all these hipster cafes popping up and restaurants, so people go for lunch. And it was really amazing to see that with my own eyes in such a short time, in just one, two years, the neighborhood changed. And now when I go back there, it's completely changed to you know, how it was six, seven years ago from now. But I think it's a really interesting challenge and, and also really creates a lot of value for the real estate owners. We are living in a, a time where the use of offices is changing. And you, you touched on that earlier on. That seems to be both from a, you know, the types of spaces we want, wellness, connectivity, so, more flexible working, all this kind of thing. Is this driven, do you think, by a generational, you know, the millennials are fully in the workforce and Generation Z are coming Grown through? Grown up. <laughs> or, or is this just a wider acceptance and impact of technology? I would say it's probably a little bit of both. It's Technology is not that new. So we had Skype in the 90s, right, or Instant Messenger, and we People, had co-working in, in the 90s. It just, well, I always say the first co-working space for me is London's Institute of Directors, which was open in 1892. <laughs> so that's, you know, 130 years ago. For me, it's not a new thing. It's like, of course, people want to... And architects have always had co-working spaces and studios. They would just have a larger studio and then sublease to different architect studios 
as they grew and, and expanded with projects, they would have to hire more people and, and hire less people. Um, so that's not anything new. I do think it's changing quite rapidly in the last 10, maybe 15 years because of how people want to work. So I think we're very spoiled that at least my generation and people that have grown up with me, they don't, they kind of even quit jobs if their commute is too long. If I commute more than half an hour, I'll be really upset and I'm going to hack my (laughs) life to always commute less than half an hour. So either I get rid of my apartment and move to a new place because I haven't bought anything or I think we're more mobile in that sense. We're less connected to one apartment or one office or people just quit their jobs and find a job that's closer to where they live. And this work-life style balance is definitely changing in the sense that we're getting more spoiled. I think we can expect more from our employers. Actually, even the co-working model where we see now may not be the the end game. There may be what Marcus Mafarage of Servcore calls third space, which is the, the next mm-hmm. step where you effectively do have these um, so you might have your own compartmentalized office, but then share with other occupiers in the buildings, meeting rooms. Amenity space, yeah, wellness, gym, yeah. services. That's what you see. I mean, 22 Bishopsgate is a great example. They've, they're really changing the way they think about a tower. So they have, they're building London's largest tower, and it's going to be, uh, I think, 2 million square feet or more even, and 100,000 square feet of that will just be service space the whole building to benefit from and it's a no-brainer it's what we did at factory seven years ago you take one floor turn it into co-working or or lounge members club whatever yeah. you want to call it and then you rent out the rest of the building and you pitch it to the occupiers in the sense that you have access for free to the shared space so you don't need to have your own shared space you don't need to have your own kitchen or lounge or you don't need to have your own boardroom there's a boardroom for the whole building to use you just right. book it and therefore, your square footage, what you require as a business, can reduce itself from maybe 100% to, to 75 or even 50% of the space you would have taken before. So say it goes from 100 to 50%, but you're willing to pay a little bit more per square foot because you have all this extra amenity space. So you're paying 75% of the cost. So you still save 25% yeah. for better experience because you have access to space when you need it, but not an empty office when you don't need it. That's another thing to consider. Occupiers who have a lot of space often have half of their offices just empty, and that's not nice for their employees either. So I think a lot of people who've been in co-working space historically have found that that there are irritations. You try and book a meeting room with three hours notice, and they've all gone, or you can't get hold of a person to book it in, and... There are potential hiccups, which are all resolvable, but it needs a slick interface and slick management. Yeah, and it needs the right technology to enable that. So that's why I always say don't try and build your own app. You'll just spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on it, and you'll probably throw it away after a year and come back to us or someone like us. So it's absolutely a, a matter of getting the operations right, getting the technology to enable it right, and then getting the space right so that you can charge that 25% more per square foot um, across the whole building, which can result in you know mo- dozens of millions of, of pounds additional profit for the whole building when you then sell it. This slightly ties in with, this is an article on, on Forbes by Marcus Mufarage of Servcore, and he ends up with four conclusions in terms of things which landlords need to do to 
adapts to, to the changing dynamics. One, offer a mix of long, long leases, but also flexible space options. Mm-hmm. Two, the building experience needs to change to be more service and hospitality oriented. Three, landlords must focus on building service income streams as well as rented income streams. And four, they need to use common areas to better create amenity and community within the building. Mm-hmm. I may have just slightly teed you up here. So how, how will district help landlords from this perspective? I think it's a good list. I would add a five, which is um, user-friendly technology to operate all of the above. Because doing all of these things without having a seamless platform can be can require probably double the amount of staff that you needed before, which increases your costs a lot. But through using a platform like ours, you won't need to hire more people. You'll just have your existing people um, need less time to manage that because you don't need to manually manage the shared space. You have it all on a platform, it just gets done. You just need to update the platform every two weeks, roughly. Your your vision is that even the most passive of landlords, by engaging you, can go a pretty long way in achieving those those five. But definitely services. They don't need to change the space layout. So the most advanced landlords will do all of those and actually spend a lot of money in their capex, which means changing the way their buildings are actually built from day one. But if you have an existing building and it's full, you can already add a lot of value without changing the existing infrastructure at all through just overlaying the service technology platform that creates community and upsells services. So that's already a huge, I think that's half of those four that you can just do today with an app that is very cost effective. Um, You can roll it out tomorrow. Do you think this this is a change which is going to affect... Of all office locations equally, or is there going to be trends and and just blithely applying it? To- yeah, I think it's definitely a capital, a large capital city process first. So these cities will change: London, New York, Shanghai, Berlin, Paris. Large capital cities are implementing this type of office space first because one, the space is very little, it's very expensive. Companies are changing the way they want to rent space because it's a huge cost on their bottom line. One thing we haven't touched on, which Mm -hmm. I just want to see very briefly, is facilities management. So when people talk about smart buildings, we're talking about usage. Do you filter into this? Do you... So we have a support function on the app today, which is the user interface and that support ticket gets sent to whoever is in charge of what. So for example, if it's a technical issue with the app, it gets sent to us. If it's a question around the events, it gets sent to the events. If it's a facilities question, it gets sent to the facilities manager. So in that sense, we already have a support tool. But what we are, what we aren't doing today is energy efficiency or lift maintenance or any of the really more technical your relevance is yes. always to the end user so it's not exactly no we focus on building community services and connecting them with spaces cool and so on on a completely different tangent you are a uh, tech entrepreneur mm-hmm. you 
also happens to be a woman. How have you found that? Is that problematic? Have you been welcomed in? Is it difficult? No, it's great. And probably in the real estate world, it's funny because I always thought diversity was an issue in tech. Welcome to real estate. It's significantly worse. So, uh, you know, I'll commonly be the only woman in the room pitching clients. Right. But that's never stopped me from closing a deal. I don't think it, for me, gender doesn't make a difference. It's about how, how you approach the room. This is a big question and it's probably not a quick, a quick answer, but do you think there's an obvious reason why there aren't more women in tech real estate side of things? When I used to go to Web Summit or TechCrunch, Disrupt, uh, like the biggest tech events in the world, um, you see roughly, let's say, 30% women. If you go to MIPIM, I would estimate it's about 3% women. Wow, that's more Maybe that, six. I agree the numbers are stacked against you. The waves of suits are overwhelming yeah. at, at MIPIM. But, um, so I think real estate is worse than tech, but I don't think it's, a, it's an issue, and I think it's going to change. There's going to be more and more women in real estate as our world changes. We, we always finish up with two slightly uh, slightly strange questions. The first of which is what your favorite building is. I'm, I mean, I'm probably biased, and I would say Factory in Berlin and Interchange in, in Camden are two of my favorite buildings ever. So Interchange Atrium, or now it's called Labs Atrium, so they right. rebranded. It's called Labs.com. Um, it's a beautiful building because it was an old market, like an old stables market, so they... They used to have horse and carriages, and then it got turned into a market. And then they built a new building on top of the market and was supposed to continue on the shopping center. So it has a huge atrium where you can walk around. And then on either side, it was built for little stalls, like of shops. But we turned them into private offices for co-working. So it's a really nice sort of community feel. If you've not been, I definitely recommend you to visit. And... Factory in Berlin was great because it was an old warehouse, really, really old building that we took, we bought when it was completely white on the outside and we stripped the paint from the facade without really knowing what was underneath it. We knew it was brick, but we had no idea how nice the brick was. So we stripped the the facade, this most beautiful pattern of very Berlin-style brick came out and then we built two floors of very modern white um, black and white, like finished modern floors on top of the brick. And so you can Google it, factoryberlin.com. It's really one of the most beautiful buildings, yeah. Cool. I shall add it to the uh, to the website. District aside, what, what other technologies or innovations or ideas or other, I should say, um, interests you or excites you at the moment? Well, as you rightly figured out, I'm super interested in smart cities or future cities. And one of my favorite companies that is working around that vision today is Skyports, which I mentioned. So the ones renting the towers, the roofs of the towers for flying cars. I'm also a big fan of um, like, I think VR, virtual reality, especially in real estate is is just at the beginning of what it is capable of. Um, And I also think there's going to be a lot of interesting developments with robots around managing buildings better. So you know, window cleaners are extremely expensive and it's still very dangerous to be cleaning the windows of like the Shard or the Gherkin or one of these big towers. Why isn't it done by drones yet? The technology exists. We just need to be able to sign off on the regulations. So, Cool. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much as well. <laughs>
Vanessa's view of smart buildings and smart cities is clear and simple. That the ultimate goal of all things smart needs to be to improve the human experience. That technology for its own sake is not enough and indeed can be counterproductive. Vanessa's app clearly increases efficiencies for the individual user and can help build a sense of community in the workplace. Now, I think it's really refreshing in the context of some of what I've seen in the tech world that Vanessa really emphasizes the fact that this ultimately is just a tool. It needs humans to run it and humans to use it and humans to create that sense of community. It's not just going to happen due to the technology alone. But as most landlords start to embrace the space-as-a-service movement, District seems to offer an excellent, relatively low-cost way of making sure that user experience is cutting-edge, even if the design of the building itself may be more aligned with traditional office occupational usage. Mm-hmm.